Hi, this is Charlotte. I have a couple of notes before we start the show today. I want to give a special shout out to everyone who has supported us during the podcast launch. We are still learning a ton about the process, and we're having a lot of fun too. Besides listening, one of the best ways to show your support is to subscribe to the show through your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio FM, and many other popular podcasting apps. You can find the full list at our website, boundforjustice.com. And another great way to show support is to share the podcast with other people. Use social media, send folks a link by email or text message, whatever works for you. And you can also give us a good rating or leave a review. And since we're in this together, we really want to hear from you. Send us your comments, your questions, or suggestions by email at boundforjustice at gmail.com. You can also interact with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search Bound for Justice. Finally, I'd like to give a special shout out to my siblings, Jeremy, Josiah, and Sharissa. They've helped us with show production, audio engineering, and content planning. You'll hear a little bit from Sharissa in today's episode, and you'll likely hear from her more in the future. Thanks again for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to Bound for Justice, your weekly podcast that explores race, reconciliation, and social justice, one book at a time. Join us for a candid discussion about taking steps to create change in our lives and the communities we live in. And now your hosts, Rachel Rosman and Charlotte Wilson. All right. Welcome to another week of Bound for Justice. I'm Charlotte Wilson. I'm Rachel Rosman. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Anything new from the week? I don't think there is really. No. You had mentioned a couple of weeks ago that you were working on a special project. Oh my gosh. That's... A bummer of a story. Nobody's returning my emails anymore. Oh, darn. Yeah. Well, so you I know. think I maybe just be like putting it to rest. I don't know. Well, it it is summer break. A lot of schools are already out for the semester. And I'm a stalker. You know how that is. You might not know how it is, but I have a friend of mine who works with the one person I was emailing. And I was like, can you go and see if he's at work this week? And like, maybe just randomly go down his hall and see if his office door is open because maybe he's on vacation and not responding to my emails like maybe he's hospitalized I don't know but I'm really hoping that there's there's a reason but it's not looking promising yeah and sometimes things get lost in email too I can't tell you how many unread emails I have in my inbox sometimes it's not personal and it might just be a volume issue plus I feel like since it's going through a school maybe it got filtered out Oh, you never know. Things right. can end up in spam filters very easily, right? right? Yeah. So there could be a myriad of reasons why it's on hold. We'll call it on hold, not stalled. Right. How's that? Perfect. And it's also the second week of Miracle League that has been canceled. So What's I've, Miracle League? Uh, I'm a coach for Miracle League. And um, it's a baseball league for kids with disabilities, basically. Cool. Um, all the games tie, but I act like, it's a, like there's a, potent, a possibility that we'll win. Or really that will make other teams lose. <laughs> and so um, we go out to a field. It's a special field. Everything's even. We have kids with like in wheelchairs. And um, there's a buddy. My daughter is a buddy. And they have a buddy for each player that helps run the bases with them and shows them where to go. That's and, awesome. Yeah. So it's kind of a family activity. It is for us, yes. That's um, very cool. It's really cool. The games are on Saturdays. We haven't had them yet. Um, if the weather is questionable at all, they usually cancel if it's too hot or too cold or rainy because a lot of our players are medically fra- fragile. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'm kind of bummed. I'm really excited to see my team. I coach with a friend of mine. It's a good Very time. Cool. Awesome. That's yeah. impressive. 
So the book that we are discussing this week is Eloquent Rage, A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower. And this book is written by Brittany Cooper. And a little bit about Brittany Cooper. Um, she is a professor of women's and gender studies and, and Africana studies at Rutgers University. And she's also the co-founder of the Crunk Feminist Collective. Another claim to fame is that she was named to the Route 100 list in 2017. Do you follow the Route on Facebook? It's interesting a lot of the stuff i'll read it and it's stuff that i wouldn't have otherwise noticed or heard about which is stuff that we potentially need to hear about interesting okay cool so like most books there is absolutely no way that we could cover you know every single topic that is covered in the book so i know we're going to do our best to hit a couple of highlights hit a couple of the things that were most meaningful or impactful to us but we certainly won't cover everything that Brittany Cooper covers in the book. And do you talk about your books at work or like with other people? Uh, no, I don't. Because I That's was sad. I was... It depends on the book. That's not true. Because like with white privilege, when we covered that, I was talking to everybody about that because I felt like there were so many people who just needed to read that book. I'm just like, read this book. Right. Yeah. I talked about this one to somebody and it was funny because I was like, have you ever read the book Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper? And the person said yes. And I was like, uh. <laughs> I was expecting you to say that. Yeah. Right. I didn't think you would say yes. Well, it's funny that you bring that up because was that person black? Yes. I would never talk to this. I would never talk to a white person about this book because no. I would assume they, they, they wouldn't read it. They never knew about it and they probably wouldn't read it. Yes. Right. I probably wouldn't, but maybe I should. And I'm going to be honest, though, when I would have the book with me, because I own the book and I carry it with me. And then I was like, even after I'd read it, I still carried it to kind of review. And I was kind of weird about like, I would flip it over because I thought, I don't know that I want somebody to come up and be like, why is a white girl reading a black feminist superpower book? Like, I didn't know if it was going to be portrayed negatively or positively or whatever, but I wasn't ready for the confrontation about it. And so I, um, I always just kind of kept it covered i guess so you bring up a good point about well a couple of good points but something that we've tried to do in previous episodes is really talk about who is this book for who would get benefit out of reading this book and given my response that i probably wouldn't talk to white people about this book because i would just assume they wouldn't read it and the fact that you felt funny as a white person reading this book because it's talking about black feminism. Who's this book for? So white people should read the book. That's what we're saying. <laughs> I think that what I loved about the book was that it really did give that black female perspective that we don't take into consideration enough. And so I think that even though it might have been awkward for me to read the book. There might have been some times where I was really uncomfortable. I know I mentioned to you earlier about how there was a part where she said, I really don't know that I have a need for white women. Mm. Um, this was the book I mentioned earlier in a podcast about how a friend of mine had mentioned that I, when I said, you know, this woman's judging me before she even knows me. And he was mm -hmm. like, that's racism. Like mm -hmm. that's how being black in America is. I just feel like when I read it, I was so uncomfortable, but it, just needed to be said. And we talked about this before. I said, this is this woman's truth. And if it's her truth, it's somebody else's truth. And so we really need to appreciate that and accept it. On the other hand, would I be able to read a book about white supremacy that I would be able to say, we need to appreciate this person's truth? 
Hmm. Probably not. No. Well, I mean, you know, definitely not. So I guess I can appreciate this woman's truth because it, it matches with some of my own views. <laughs> well, I think what you picked up on maybe in your initial response to statements that Cooper makes in the book, you know, one of the, the core components or one of the um, key themes that she brings out in this book is is a, an explanation around the title eloquent rage and the idea of being angry or being the angry black woman. And what does that mean? And what does it mean to be to have anger about everything that you're experiencing as a black woman? Uh, but then to also figure out how to express that anger as eloquent rage. Right. And she mentioned sass. Like sass is like a safe rage. Like when you're frustrated with things, you have to show a little bit of sass. And and people kept talking to her, talking to Brittany Cooper as the author about like, well, you know, people think that I, they like me or I'm an honorary black person because I can give attitude or I can give sass or I do this neck movement. I know how to, and, yeah, I know how to move my neck. Right. Yeah. Like that was that stereotypical black woman. And even but I was, it was a white woman saying that. Let's just be clear. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And I even, I've been places with a, uh, with a black female who was like, I don't really want to have to pull the angry black woman card to get what I want in this situation, but I will if I have to. The fact that there's an angry black woman card necessarily, or like that card terminology that people use, like, oh, you don't want to be the angry black woman. Like, when did, when did that start? What I happened think with it's that? just another flavor of being called a bitch when you Fair are enough. an assertive woman. But instead of being called a bitch, but you're any, any assertive woman, if you're black and you're assertive, now you're angry and you're black. Or like, well, it's expected because you're black. So you're just an angry black woman right, now. Right. Yeah. So uh, she Whereas talks. a white woman had to be pushed that far. Right, 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 right. Or she's <laughs> just a bad, she's just mean. She's a mean lady, right? As opposed to just being assertive and asking for what she wants. So th there is an interesting sort of, um, di I, don't, I don't think dichotomy is the right word. There is a, um, there is sort of a, a rub, I would say, or a friction between this idea of legitimately having anger and being upset uh, as a black person and as a woman dealing with the crap that you have to deal with. Right. Um, but at the same time, not necessarily wanting to be labeled as that just because you're assertive. Like you have to make an extra, like you have to really make sure that what you're mad about is worth being mad about <clears throat> because you don't want to be labeled right. as the angry one. Well, and that's what I like about the way that she, she tells the story about the origin of eloquent rage and the idea behind that, you know, that she, the, the term eloquent rage was actually originated by one of her students who was describing how she as a professor in the classroom carried herself or portrayed herself and the student picked up on the fact that cooper as a professor as a black woman was really carrying around a lot of rage and a lot of anger but what cooper had really learned how to do was express that as an eloquent rage and she had you know quite frankly learned how to use academia and research and history to tell that story or express that rage in a in an eloquent way and i think that's important because i don't know i'm i'm kind of getting my own shallowness in on this but when you read when you look at social media stuff if you read something and somebody states their opinion and maybe a, I would say a trashy manner or opinion that you don't like an opinion that you don't like and it's maybe grammatically incorrect or or they make a point that's dumb aren't you kind of like I can't completely disregard this because they didn't even this thing that means so much to them 
didn't even take so like they didn't want to put that much time into it to give me a clear representation of what they thought. Clearly, I don't even need to pay attention to this. Whereas this eloquent rage makes me think, yeah, I'm mad, but you know what? I've thought this through. Here are the facts. Here's the information. I've presented it in such a manner that you've got to listen to me, mm-hmm. like that you have no reason to disregard me or to discredit me in this um, in this realm. So, you know, here's what I have to say. And I I kind of loved it. I like I too. loved yeah. that phrase that she used. And, you know, I'm not you're you're not angry or I forget what the student said but you have eloquent rage and she took offense to that at first and then was kind of like no you know what I'm going to embrace it like I really do have eloquent rage well and she's clear to to point out though and I, I love this quote from the book she says here's the thing my anger and rage haven't always been focused with precision the process of becoming both a feminist and becoming okay with rage as a potential feminist superpower has been messy as hell. We need to embrace our messiness more. We need to embrace the ways we are in process. Very often, Black girls don't get the opportunity to be in process. So just know that you don't have to have everything figured out to read and enjoy this book. And I love that. And I know, you know, to me, when I when I read that, I felt like she was talking to me. Okay. I don't know how you felt about that. I felt like that was a message to other black women, to other black girls who were going through this process, who are figuring themselves out, who were navigating the messiness of of black rage or or eloquent rage, navigating the messiness of just rage, just anger and figuring out what to do about it and how to turn it into something that's actually powerful. Um, so I, I appreciated that. I guess in my in my life with me, I look at people who have rage or who, I wouldn't even know that it's what I would consider rage, just being very passionate about something or feeling very strongly about something. And I feel strongly about things, but I can never really word it correctly or execute it appropriately. And so I did love that Brittany Cooper could just kind of take, okay, I'm really upset about this, or this is really affecting me. This is how I'm perceiving things. This is how I'm being treated. Here's how I'm going to react to it or here are my thoughts about it. And I just had so much respect for her for that mm-hmm. because a lot of times I feel a certain way, but I can never word it or I can never really get the foundation behind it to really go full throttle ahead. Mm-hmm. And I see other people who do that in various realms, not just really with race or anything else. I mean, I could name a, a million different areas where people are very passionate and very driven about an area. And I don't necessarily feel like I have that foundation in those areas. And I loved it. I loved, like once the book really got going, I just loved it. I loved everything about what she had to say. I wanted to hear the next story. I wanted to hear what she was going to say next. I wanted to hear her take on things. I feel like I would just really enjoy her class at college. Like I'd want to sit there and just listen to what she had to say. And because she was so self-aware, I think. Well, and one of the things that she points out in the book too is that a lot of she points out that some of the things that she's had to work through in terms of getting to where she is and her evolution as a black feminist she could have never really worked through some of that without the aid of having classroom discussions Um, there were some things that required a classroom environment with someone leading the classroom someone who's you know read the research or or read read the you know the thought leaders in a given area to have that back and forth and to work through that 
So there are many places where I think she is and as as a person working in academia, she's had she's had exposure to that and continues to provide exposure to her students. And she's also taken on the responsibility as being someone she talks in several areas of the book about her homegirl interventions. Yes. The ones that the ones that have been staged for her by her friends to call her out on things. The ones and, that she feared. She yes. even stopped a couple of things. She was like, I don't want a homegirl intervention about this. And yeah. she's also done the same for other people where she sees someone who's maybe heading down a, a different path or maybe struggling with a different area. She's called them out on it. And I think that that's an important point for us to take away, whether you're black or whether you're white, wherever you are, knowing that you need to have people in your life who are going to call you out, who are going to be honest with you about things. You need to surround yourself with people. If you want to be as good as you want to be, you need to make sure that you surround yourself with people who you trust and you know love you enough to call you out on things because they want you to be a better person. I think that's a really good point. And I think I have different people that I kind of keep in mind, like, okay, I have this conversation I want to have, or I have this question, but I really, I'm not sure how to present it. Let me just kind of throw it out at this person where it's, it's a comfortable area that I can say something, but they'll give me an honest opinion back. And like, I mean, this this podcast in general is good for that for yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, we're processing publicly. Right. Yeah. right. So I, like you won't judge me, but other people might. But I also have a, a other friends who I've been like, okay, you know what? I heard this today or this person said this to me. How do you feel about that? Because with me in general, from my own perspective, I feel like I'm pretty open and pretty aware of racial issues and so sometimes i even have a friend who i had to say is this a is this a race issue or is this a racial issue like is yes. this person like this person and maybe might it's be, a little bit of both right like yeah. this person might be siding with me are they siding with me because i'm right or are they siding with me because they know me and they like me over and they don't know the other person in this story and i think that's a big issue that i really have to take into consideration just because I'm close with somebody and they think it's okay that I did something or said something or felt a certain way, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's correct. They just know me and they don't know the other side of it or they love me or they care about me and they mm -hmm. don't know the other side of it. And I yeah, I think I don't take that into consideration enough. I, I get too comfortable with that. Like, well, I'm okay. I did right. this, you know, maybe I said this or did this or felt this way. and But it's okay because this person said it was okay. Right. It's kind um, of like, so... You know, we all have different people in our lives. And so I think about this, like if I need somebody to just pump me up because I'm not feeling good and I just need a good, just like a real good boost, I call my mom. My mom is always in my corner. I'll call your mom. <laughs> like, your mom is fantastic. But I also know that if I really need the truth, not that to, not to say that my mom would give me, but my mom is in my corner. I'm number one. Like I'm my mom's daughter, and I know that, and I and I'm so grateful for that. But You're if, tied at number one with Sharissa since yeah. she's here. <laughs> but but if I need like the hard truth, I might call my brother or I might call my sister. Because they just give it to me straight. You know what I mean? Right. It, yes. And, you know, and that's okay. Yeah. I don't know that I call my brother or sister about that. I, would, I don't know who I would call if I wanted it. I think sometimes I just say, maybe I'll say to the same person, okay, tell me how you feel about this. Okay, now tell me if I wasn't me. <laughs> like, it was just a random person <laughs> I know this girl. This. Yeah. Right. Asking for a friend. Right. Um, because I don't, I don't know. Sometimes it's so hard to hear their honest truth, though, isn't it? Like, don't you want to be like, OK, but no, that's not the way I really meant for it to be. Well, and I think we can all agree that sometimes it depends on the topic and the subject matter. Oh, um, sure. Some things we're obviously a lot more sensitive about. And we're not ready for that, that, that raw answer. 
And you never want to be wrong. Like you always want somebody to just agree with you and tell you that you were in the right. And it's not always the way it is. Right. That's that idea of putting yourself aside for the better, for whatever's best. Yeah. So. Okay. Back to the book. One of the other big things, and we've already touched on this a little bit, but I loved the chapter on Black feminism, capital B, capital F. And she really calls out this idea of being not just a feminist that's Black, but a Black feminist and the difference between the two. And um, just her, her willingness to embrace a different title as a Black feminist that um, does not does not require her to trade off her identity as a black person or her identity as a woman, but allows her to honor both at the same time. And she really that is such an area that gets pushed aside. We talked about it earlier. Like it's usually judged as you have to be one or the other. And I love that she embraced both. I think it's essential. I mean, it's essential for somebody to sit there and say, listen, I can be both like I am a black feminist. Right. Um. Did you relate to that at all in terms of being biracial and how does that? Play yes. Into that? Yeah, I totally do. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a and it, as someone who is black and who is white um, and having grown up, I, I mean, I feel like having grown up in a culture that is predominantly white, but then also you I mean, you have to embrace and come to terms with the fact that the world looks at you and says you're black. And that's the way it is. You're black. That's how you get labeled. That's how you get viewed. If someone's making that snap decision, you're black. They got to put you in a category. That's what we as humans often do. So I did, I totally related to the idea that in, in this world, the world wants, wants you to, to pick a side. They want you to choose, you know, to, to, to check one box. But she's saying, uh-uh, I don't have to do that. And the fact that I am a black woman gives me a completely different perspective. So I totally, I totally agree with you that I think that there's a uniqueness, even in, in this conversation, a lot of times, I was actually thinking about this earlier today, in this conversation, a lot of times I feel like, oh, I don't know, like, do I really do what, what, what am I really allowed to say? Because I'm biracial. I grew up with a white mom and a black dad, um, grew up in a small town, grew up in a predominantly white environment. I still work in a predominantly white environment. What legitimacy does my viewpoint carry? And it, so it'd be very easy to talk yourself out of having these types of conversations. But I kind of said, uh-uh, no, my, my viewpoint is very legitimate and very fair. And if for nothing else, I believe that the, the very fact of being willing to have these conversations and to create create a create a conversation or create an environment for it even if i'm just carrying one viewpoint that's perfectly okay the whole point of this is to is to share a viewpoint but then to facilitate conversation that moves well beyond us and to invite everybody in with their unique perspectives to create a much better con conversation and a much broader viewpoint now with this book i noticed that I know at one point she mentioned how there was another black girl in her class that she felt like she really had to form a bond with. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that when you went to school? Like, uh, like, no. did you feel like, okay, there's another black kid. I have to be friends with them because I'm no. black and we, we relate to each no, other. No, but I feel that way now to a certain extent, you know, the black person nod where you're like, Hey, what's up? I see you. I see you other black nod. person. <laughs> I see you other black person in the sea of white people. I, I, yeah, we're good. You know, I see you. I got you. To a certain extent, I feel that now. I, I did not feel that as a kid. Actually, I felt quite the opposite. I felt very judged because I didn't act black enough. 
But yeah, when when you were talking, we talked earlier. I'm not sure if it was on a podcast or not, but where you talked about like, yeah, I was I was the black girl, or people mm-hmm. said I wasn't black enough, or I was mm-hmm. too black, or, and I was like, oh man, where she grew up, like I can't believe she was the only black person in her class. Whereas in my class of 300 people when I graduated, it was, it was I think it was like 288. Mm. Um, there was maybe a biracial kid and one black student. Wow. Yeah. Um, and and don't get me wrong, we definitely had we definitely had black representation in the school, but for the in the majority of the in the classes that I took in school, I was generally like the only black person in there. And yeah. I I had uh, I've watched a documentary. I have a lot of interest in HBCUs. Mm-hmm. I think they're very essential, um, which we might get into later. I don't know. In one of the HBCU documentaries, this girl mentions, I was so excited to go to an HBCU because when I was in school, I had to be either the top of the class, you know, A plus black girl student, or I could be the ratchet student. Like Mm -hmm. that was the only option. You could be bottom of the class, top of the class. There was no in between. And so when she got to an HBCU, she felt like she really could kind of be whoever she wanted to be because there were lots of people like her. Like, did you feel like you had that at school too, where like you had to really show up almost like kind of in a no I wasn't woke enough I mean I was just there to be like hey everybody look at me I'm just trying to survive I'm just trying to survive (laughs) I'm just trying to be as good as I could possibly be so I can get that scholarship and go to college you know I mean that was pretty much my goal and she brings that up in the book too just sort of her her pathway through as a as a young black woman and you know growing up in an environment where she was Definitely working towards academic achievement. Obviously, she is a professor, so she's she's done the schooling. She's she's worked in academia, and she just talks a little about a little bit about sort of navigating that path as a black person, but working in a in, in an environment that has a you know I mean in academia academia there's a certain amount of scholarship, there's a certain approach, there's a certain culture that comes with that. And I think that, yeah, that was a challenge for her. Right. And I feel like when I read this book, she is so successful and so intelligent and and such a a knowledgeable person. And she still almost doubted herself. Like, am I still fitting in with the community? Am I still black enough for Mm -hmm. everybody? I still have to almost like prove her worthiness. It was such an interesting take on things because I guess... As a person who is white and is part of the majority, like I'm awkward. I'm not top of the class. I'm not I'm not anything extraordinary or, you know, noteworthy. And I'm still just like, well, whatever, you know, it's no big deal. I'm trying to make a name for myself. I'm trying to prove myself to people, but it's not a big deal. Whereas with her, it almost felt like it was something so essential to her. Like I have to prove that I'm black and intelligent and worthy. But I can still hang with my people. Right. I'm still cool. I'm still I'm still black enough. Right. So that you don't was... ever feel like if you get to a certain level of accomplishment that there's some sort of rub between like where where you are and where you came from. Which maybe we don't talk about enough. Like like I'm white. Is there a significant like stereotype for a white person versus a black well, person. Well, I like, don't know. I guess if do you move if is there a place where you move beyond where you the class that you were born into versus the class that you're that you now work within? Like, is that ever a challenge? Or yeah, 
this is tough stuff. Yeah. We didn't we didn't yeah. we didn't write this up ahead of well, time. Well, maybe we don't. Well, and maybe we don't really have an answer for that. Maybe we sort of table that I mean, and move beyond that. That's like it's okay. easier to be white and not have a place and not really know where you fall compared to being black and not know where you like like I can't be you know, well, there are I've, fewer people. There are fewer people that have right. that have um, followed that path. So it it does, you know, it's just a it's a sheer numbers game sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like I'm white and I'm not really street smart and I'm not really top of the class either. But if I'm black, I have to be one or the other. Like, is that sort of the the uh, take? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this is really this know. is Do so you have difficult. An opinion, Teresa? Oh, okay. Yeah, this is a tough one. I think, but I think that that's okay. I mean, I think that's part of it. Like, it's just, it's kind of a a, a weird, uncomfortable place to be. And I but, think she she kind yeah. of mentions that in the book. Like, this is where I was coming in at, or this right. is where I was falling. Um, and so I followed that. Yeah. So, so here's what I'll say. There's so much that there's no way we could have possibly covered all of the great content that's in this book. Read the book. Read the book. And uh, just mm. it, if I were to give my votes for the chapters to hit, because um, as we said earlier, this really does feel like a series of essays. You don't necessarily have to read it all through. You, you could, should, but it you would be don't great. Have to. But you don't have to. And so for me, a couple of the big chapters that stuck out to me that I really enjoyed um, The Problem with Sass, Capital B, Capital F, Bag Lady. Um, Bag Lady, again, I think brings us back to. That long list of all of the things that are happening in the black community, all of the unreported incidences of, um, you know, uh, discrimination, police brutality. She brings it all back together in Bag Lady. And I think that um, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but the stuff I was talking about with The Root, that's that stuff, too. Like things that you wouldn't normally hear about in the mainstream media or the normal news, but you really should know about. She brings up in Bag Lady, you need to kind of be more aware of things that are going on. Because I think when it's just like one thing or one little instance, you're like, oh, well, this is one specific incident or, okay, people are trying to make a big deal about this when it's not. It's not like there's stuff going on like this all the time that we need to pay attention to. This is stuff that's happening every single day that is being overlooked. Um, And so that's my take on that. But go ahead. I agree. And so she she, so she it's an invitation to remind yourself of that again, because it is so easy to forget if you're not in it every day. Um, And then grown woman theology, which we have absolutely not enough time to get into. But I will just tell you, (laughs) Lord Jesus, exactly. (laughs) She really um, addresses the the conflict and the contradiction of some of the things that she learned growing up in a conservative Christian environment and then moving into her adult womanhood and having to make some decisions on her own about how she views certain things. And she did such a great job of breaking it down. Be prepared to be very uncomfortable depending on how you were raised, but it's so good. Weren't you reading it and you were like, like in my mind, I was like, I can totally envision this person, my family saying that. But I wish this person would have said it to me. <laughs> like, don't you think if you had like certain people in your life yeah. where you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have had this conversation. Yeah, I thought it was good. Or I wish I would have been given this kind of validation. Yes, maybe. yes, validation. I think is a really good, a really good point. But to sort of close out the conversation and to wrap this up, if we really want to talk about, you know, what can we take from this book? How can we take action from this book? 
And really, if we go back to the the um, subtitle of the book, um, A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower, Sharisa, you earlier asked a really great question. What does it mean to have black feminism as a superpower? And Rachel, earlier you mentioned the benediction that's at the end of the book in um, the final chapter called Joy. And I actually feel like actually feel like the answer to that question is is found in and um in that that final chapter where she where she says part of what i've been trying to say is that rage can help us build things too the clarity that comes from rage should also tell us what kind of world we want to see not just what kind of things we want to get rid of and she mentions that earlier in the book that this idea of being a black feminist means that you're really focused on building a world where you are building up and you are encouraging and you are growing other black women. And that's what I think having a black feminist superpower means is that you're really focusing on creating a world where black women are loved, admired, grown, you know, nurtured and encouraged to be all that they can be. But you're doing that in a way where you're choosing to create. It's not just about getting rid of things, but it's it, you're choosing to create things. And I think that's what the superpower is. And I think that since I've read this book, since I work in a high school, whereas previously when kids might have been loud and are obnoxious and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wish they would just stop or grow up, like just grow up, stop acting like this. I've sort of sat back and been like, you know what? This is a whole they're living in a different world. They're being raised in a different world. Like. What does this expression mean to them? How is how am I interpreting this incorrectly? And I think that's that was really and that made an impact on me because I think I'm very quick and this is not this is kind of something that I'm more ashamed of than anything. Like I'm very quick to be like, oh, my gosh, these kids are being so immature or they're being so loud or obnoxious or why do they feel like this is the way they have to express themselves this is the way they're expressing themselves. Why am I interpreting it this way? How mm-hmm. are they really meaning to be like, what is causing them to act this way? Or why are they expressing themselves this way? And I think that this book made me think like, you know what, this, you know, this black superpower, is this how it's starting out? Is this the beginning of it? Like, where is this going to go next? Whereas before I would have been like, they need to stop this. Maybe now I'm like, how are we going to um, nurture this to being something more effective, something more powerful mm-hmm. something that they can use? Mm-hmm. Do you so feel it, like you got anything from the book that allows you to connect with other black women from a feminist perspective, but but from a unique viewpoint? I feel it's OK like, to say that you didn't either. I think that's part of the, the journey here. It's not that I didn't. I think that it was this book when I read it it made me feel like I there's nothing in my life that I can say is equivalent to a black female perspective. So I need to, instead of being like, oh, I understand what you mean by this, or I understand by we're that. all women. Yeah, yeah. Or I struggled with this too. Like I can be like, you know what? I'm never going to be able to relate to that situation, but I can appreciate that situation or I can appreciate that perspective, even though I'll never be able to know what that was like. Mm-hmm. And I think this was, this book really drove that home that, you know what? You don't have to, you don't have to say that you lived that, or you don't have to have an equivalent experience. But you just have to know that you acknowledge that or appreciate that about somebody. Because I think that's the big thing. Like the recognition of being a black female and having that black female experience is important to Brittany Cooper, more so than me being able to try to make a comparison. Okay, that's fair. To give this introduction, because you might not be able to hear her, Sharissa has 
just recited the benediction, which I loved at the end of Eloquent Rage. I gave her my book. But at the end, Brittany Cooper said that she felt like since her Christian upbringing had a benediction at the end of all the services, she should have benediction at the end of her book. It was, may you have joy. May you have gut-busting belly laughter every day. May you ask more and better questions. May your rage be a force for good. You got this. We got this. Awesome. I think that's a great way to end this week's episode. So thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Sharisa. Yes, thank you very much, Sharisa. And we will see all of you again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Bound for Justice. Join us next week for another conversation about creating change in our lives and the communities we live in.